0: News. News. News, news. 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 New York City. The FAQ NYC
1: podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. F-A-Q. <laughs> it's FAQ NYC, the New Yorkist podcast in the newsroom, by and for New Yorkers, the city. I'm Harry Siegel, here with the ubiquitous Professor Christina Greer. <laughs> and joining us, as he graciously does every election night, is the inimitable Ben Max editor of Gotham Gazette, and the host of the Max Politics Podcast. How are you holding up, man?
0: Hey, I'm doing all right. I'm always uh, on edge till I get the invite to come back, so I appreciate being with you again. <laughs> oh, man, it's great <laughs> having you. And you, uh,
1: hey, it's 1030, polls closed 90 minutes ago. Uh, somebody who tried to come back and did not get there is Max Rose. Is rep, Nicole Maliotakis, easily defeated him in a rematch. Uh, Chuck Schumer is easily won all four ballot measures in New York City. So there's a statewide one we voted on to borrow several billion for critical environmental related infrastructure projects, three citywide ones intended to boost equity efforts. They actually came out of a commission. The mayor, Bill de Blasio, convened in the immediate aftermath of the George Floyd protests in 2020. Uh, it's not looking great at this point for DCC chair, Sean Patrick Maloney. Uh, Assembly member Ron Kim is in a surprisingly maybe competitive race in Queens. And top of the ticket, uh, Governor Kathy Hochul, lots of votes still to come in. But at this point, has opened up a lead to nearly 600,000 votes over Lee Zeldin. Then again, we're just starting to get results from his home county, at Suffolk. He's closed the polling gap in recent weeks. And with the very hard push from the New York Post, gave one Eric Adams last year, he is hoping that New York's going to elect a Republican challenger to a statewide office for the first time this century in a campaign that's really been centered on fears about crime and anger at Democrats in a state they've thoroughly controlled. And, uh, you know, from the polling, at least, um, we're going to know by the time most of you are listening to this, you know, at the least he made a uh, nail-biter of what it seemed like a long-shot bid. So, Ben, you've been monitoring all this closely over weeks, months, years, and tonight, uh do you just want to fill listeners in on the picture you're seeing
0: at this point? Well, this is a little tricky because we're talking here as we're as you said as we're seeing uh results come in i think I think some of what we're seeing initially, and we'll see how it holds up, especially as Long Island comes in is that Kathy Hochul looks like she is in okay shape. You know, I'm hesitant to uh, get too far out ahead of the vote tallies and the and those that actually call these races, but we've seen, um, you know, the race called for Chuck Schumer quickly. We've seen the race now called for Letitia James in the attorney general contest. Um, uh, I'm not sure if Tom DiNapoli has been called in the controller race, but that's probably soon to come. So all of that would indicate that even though the governor's race was obviously the one where the Republicans were putting basically all of their resources and all their attention. You know, Hochul would really have to run behind the other Democrats by a significant margin to lose Uh, still seems, you know, like it could shrink as the long Island votes come in because Zeldin being from Suffolk, you know, is likely to run up the score there a bit. Um, But, you know, so I think, I think that's um, where things stand as of where we're talking. And there's a lot to, sort of breakdown in the way the governor's race uh, had was run. But I also think um, you know, you got it some interesting stuff. Some of what we're seeing in the Hudson Valley looks like Sean Patrick Maloney could be in big trouble while other races go towards Democrats. Again, still looking at votes coming in, but that could be a very interesting dichotomy there. And again, reflective of where Republicans really put a lot of resources. Um, and then one other thing is how um there are several races in Brooklyn for state legislative seats where it looks like Democrats are in real trouble, especially in South Brooklyn. But you know, there's if anything's within a couple hundred votes, there's still paper ballots, absentee ballots that can be arriving, uh, you know, that that could t- shift the balance there. um but but some re- you know, there's one or two assembly members that look like they're almost sure to lose their seats that are Democrats. Um, there's a brand new state Senate district in Brooklyn that was created as an Asian Opportunity District, and the Democratic nominee, Ewan Chu, is in a very close race there from the latest numbers we've seen. That would be a very big upset if Republicans took that new seat. Um, so there's some interesting cross-currents going on, and I I think it'll be you know really interesting to see where the overall Brooklyn vote winds up being uh, in terms of the governor's race as well, because we obviously saw uh last year in the new york city elections, some movement towards republicans in brooklyn and and definitely some indications of that again here
1: stina there's been a lot of talk nationally and now locally about shifting political currents and about um latino voters and asian voters here in particular uh shifting toward republicans um obviously we're waiting for the results to come in and some of these races to be called tonight but but speaking while we're holding our breath what's happening with the uh democratic coalition here um and and is this opening up space for newly competitive races
2: i think so i mean I'll answer it in two ways. I'll start with New York and then I'll zoom out nationally. I mean, let's be real. Immigrants tend to be more conservative. That's just, you know, what the data has shown in in black ethnics. I mean, I argue like, why don't Republicans try and go after, say, Africans and Caribbeans more uh, profoundly? Uh, They've chosen to cast their lot with white supremacy. So they're leaving millions of votes on the table um, because there are lots of black voters who ideologically, could and should lean Republican, but because of some of the racist rhetoric that they hear, they they vote with the Democratic Party. But when we see, you know, especially Asians in parts of, you know, Queens and Brooklyn uh, going with the Republican Party because Republicans, A, are actually talking to them, and B, tapping into certain issues, especially economic issues, which is how most People go to the polls. With Latinos, I mean, you know, Democrats are still obsessed with, like, Latinos voting on immigration. Latinos don't vote for immigration as their number one. They vote for economic issues just like everybody else. So we've also seen the data bears out that a lot of Latinos, uh, first and second generation, are willing to pull up the ladder once they're in solidly. So it's not that they're into opening the gates. It's like, well, I got in, so let's close the gates. So... I think some of it's messaging and some of it is actually just targeting. Uh, Democrats, you know, tend to be late to the party every two to four years with trying to galvanize their base. Uh, and then, you know, the running joke is like when you dust off Uncle Barry and have him canvassing all over the country with Barack Obama, like that, that lets you know just how how Democrats feel they're in trouble. Nationally, though, I think, you know, it's really important. We we have these bucket terms of Latinos, Asians, blacks, which I obviously argue is is just way too broad because when you look at a place like Florida, you know, and you have significant numbers of Cubans and Venezuelans and Argentinians, like those are Republican voters built in, baked in. So, I don't think Florida is purple anymore. I think we can establish and say like it's red. Like it's solidly red and Latinos are going to help it get red, stay red and um that's just where we are. Uh, and so I think we can see Latinos trending to Republican uh, to the Republican Party in places like Arizona and Nevada and New Mexico and Texas. Uh, and so that'll be a series of conversations. You know, demographics aren't destiny. I think, you know, a lot of Democrats are like, oh, we'll get young people. I like to remind them that, you know, when you look at Charlottesville, those people weren't old. They were young people, too. So just as Democrats are targeting certain young people with, you know, debt relief or, you know, financial aid or whatever, Pell Grant... You know, conversations, the vast majority of, you know, we talked about this on WNYC earlier today. The vast majority of people didn't go to college, aren't in college. Um, so that's still a small population. So there are a lot of people who, you know, see Joe Biden's, you know, college debt relief. is like, I don't care. It doesn't, doesn't apply to me or anybody in my family. So Republicans are also doing a really good job, um, not just targeting young people, but also targeting young people on college campuses, too, Uh we get this reputation that college campuses are these liberal bastions. They absolutely are not. As someone who's a Black woman who's been in academia and in institutions my entire life, they absolutely are not liberal bastions whatsoever. So I think Republicans just have a much longer widespread, wide net strategy, and Democrats keep getting caught flat-footed election after election. Uh, And even when they are victorious, it's still, you know, I said the other day, it's like, Mm, the Democrats remind me of the Knicks. It's like, you know, sorry, Ben, I said <laughs> it. Um, but, you know, they. it's just what's the long-term strategy? So, like, even when there are some wins, it's like, all right, well, you know, it's like the Knicks in October and November. Sure, it feels good. But, like, hey, wait a few weeks or months. It's going to get rough. So uh, I think even if Joe Biden doesn't have the shellacking that, say, Barack Obama had in 2010, he's still going to have a hard road to hoe. Ho- hard road to hoe? That's mm-hmm. what it is. Uh, in the next two years, I think the only saving grace that Democrats might have when get lucky is, you know, because Donald Trump wants to run for the presidency, he will go scorched earth. We already saw a little preview of it with Ron DeSantis. So he's he's just that type of person that will criticize even people in his own party. So the Republicans will cannibalize themselves and Democrats yet again will sort of, you know, ignore the black people who brought them to the party and start, you know, hunting for this elusive white Conservative voter of a certain age that left with Jimmy Carter and they're still trying to get him back. Get oh, he's in a he's diner gone. somewhere.
1: He's in a diner but, somewhere. Just I mean, to listen, be
2: I'm so tired of going after these old white men. They're gone, Democrats. They ain't coming back. Okay. Like just get over it. So why don't you dance with the person who brought you to the party
1: consistently? Speaking of Republicans, black folks, and a <laughs> lot else, former Republican Eric Adams. He had a big push from the post. He was elected mayor. A lot of this was about how New York City felt more dangerous, and he could change that and and significantly do so fairly with better policing, not just more of it. Lee Zeldin, who has had the very fulsome endorsement of Rupert Murdoch's post and Fox News, has borrowed a bunch from that playbook even as Adams is suddenly not talking about bail reform, has he got the memo for Kathy Hochul to chill out on that for now. Assuming just for conversation that Kathy Hochul is the governor, it's a term of her own, Democrats are humbled, they take some losses, they lose their supermajority in the state Senate, is this potentially a very good night for Eric Adams, who maybe gets next year a second chance of uh, the first impression and a good first year because you usually don't get that. Your first year is mayor, right? You're newly elected. They're all running for office. He got nothing, I would argue. Um, does he maybe get a second shot here with some of the things he's after where he says, my cops are doing their job, but everyone else is, is letting things down? And does a diminished Democratic caucus where presumably the members are moving to the left, by the way, because it's moderates who are losing in these uh, competitive general elections. Uh, but say we, we've got to come around on some of this and reestablish some of these bona fides because otherwise we're going to lose more races.
0: I don't. I don't know that I see that. I don't know that um, even if Kathy Hochul wins by a narrow margin, that that means that in the you know session right after the election, she's coming back to um, push for some wholesale change to the bail law. I mean the. the, the bottom line which too frequently gets ignored as far as I'm concerned is that she made pretty significant changes to the bail law. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem to have been implemented and she was right about that and I for the life of me don't understand why she hasn't been pointing that out more throughout this campaign and actually making more of an affirmative case for herself on the issue of public safety and what she did get done here and there when she's put on her back foot she says I did I did make changes to the bail law and she even once publicly said in the in the lead up to the election, you probably didn't know that. And I thought that that was one of the sort of biggest um, own goals I've heard from a politician in recent memory where she delayed the state budget, as she tells it, to get some changes on the bail law. And then she doesn't even really talk about it or sell it or defend herself when she's getting pummeled all the time. Now, that's not just on her, but she led on that and she wanted credit for that. Eric Adams, I don't even know if he's once publicly acknowledged that Hokel got those changes to the bail law I don't I, I can't remember him actually even I don't even know if he knows it happened uh the way he talks so uh, that has been an issue the legislative leaders are mostly mia on this stuff Carl Hasty does not like talking to the media once in a while he'll make a very impressive uh performance on you know Errol Lewis's show or somewhere else and it's like hey, where are these people defending the the stuff they've done? So I think that's a key issue. I don't know that I see more changes coming. The only thing that really seems like it would be left would be a major shift to, to add in this dangerousness leeway for judges. Some people say that's what it should be to match all the other states that have some measure of it. I haven't studied that closely enough to know what the variations are in that. But um I don't know that I see that. I don't know that uh, to your very good point, Harry. With a, an almost uh, more progressive state Senate Democratic conference, even if they lose the supermajority, which seems likely, um, that that they're all of a sudden going to want to work more with Eric Adams, who many of them are very frustrated with. So that's a lot of lot of TBD. I don't know if Hochul comes out of this winning. You know, fifty uh with 52 54 percent of the vote or something like that you know i don't know that she's looking to revisit a lot of this stuff i think she's looking to move forward and try to you know establish herself with a lot more runway for a for a next election
1: you see if somehow lee Zeldon pulls this off is there maybe opportunity of some sort for adams in that with this republican who's talking about declaring a state of emergency and rolling the legislature Um, Adams is, you know, he's endorsed Hochul. He said they have a good relationship. At the same time, he's pressing, maybe, maybe as a way of of scapegoating or pushing off some responsibility for things that are happening on his watch, you know, he's been pressing her for, for more and more changes. And it does seem like it's an interesting set of power dynamics. Uh, You know, when we had Cuomo on and we were interviewing him, he likes to talk about how he's the person in charge. And, you know, the city is an instrument of the state and he's, he's the guy Adams with Hochul has really been the main character. At least he's been the person who's been center stage, uh, on crime, on immigration, on all these issues. And he struggled with some of them. Right. Like, where, where do you see all this, this potentially going next year? And would there be some benefit for him in having a non-democrat controlling the state?
2: Yeah. Listen, Eric Adams is always going to find a way to win for himself. Like That's just what it is. He saw the eight years that was the disaster of the de Blasio-Cuomo relationship and at the end of the day, the governor has an upper hand because the governor has a larger budget and the governor's a bigger executive, period, dot, end. So de Blasio was the only one who never figured that out. Everyone else gets it. So on the one hand, could Adams have gotten more from Kathy Hochul? I think so. Um as she was getting her sea legs. She let him sort of take the headwind because she was getting her sea legs. I mean, to be fair to Kathy Hochul, like, she reminds me of like a plumber, if you've ever had work done on your house and it's like you've had a contractor or a plumber and they they screw things up, then you have to bring in a second person to kind of do the work. That person is trying to do the work based on some other work that someone else started. So they have a rough idea of things, but that's what Kathy Hochul had to do. It's like Cuomo was in charge. She was at a Quiznos, people. She was not at the table making any of these decisions. <laughs> so she said to come into the state of New York and figure out COVID based on what Cuomo did or did not do, figure out quite a few things. So she's she's the second contractor having to undo and, and sort of finish the job. Adams recognized that. So he wasn't sort of in her face with things. He liked the fact that she gave him the attention and let him be out front because that's what Eric Adams likes to do. She's more than happy to do that. Now let's just take the two scenarios. First scenario, she gets reelected. I think we see a different Kathy Hochul because Kathy Hochul's actually elected as governor. So I think she puts some bass in her voice. It's like, listen here, Eric, like (laughs) this budget actually is mine. So we will figure out a way to work together But like, you know, you got options, (laughs) my way or the highway. Like, I think those are, you always have options, Eric, but like, here are the two that you have. So I think we see a slightly different Kathy Hochul when it comes to Eric Adams. Because don't forget, she didn't want to ostracize him with New York City, with black voters. You know, Eric Adams understands white ethnics. He understands immigrants. I mean, he, he gets politics in a way. And the last thing she needed was like a whisper campaign of Eric Adams doesn't have confidence in Kathy Hochul. So that relationship, I think, actually could get a little more complicated. But I think Eric Adams is smart enough to recognize she's the one with the budget, and she's the one with the money, and she actually understands Albany better than he does. Even though we spend a little time in Albany, she does understand Albany better than he. That's one. Lee Zeldin gets in. God forbid, right? This man is, you know, anti-choice. He said so himself. You know, he he said, "Oh, Carl, he sees will never bring me a bill," but like. You know, things crazier things have happened, as we know, in American politics. So let's just say this scenario happens where Lee Zeldin gets in. I think Eric Adams, because they do sort of share uh, a media pool, they share a donor pool, they share a voting pool in certain spots, um, you know, sort of neighborhood-wise, tangentially, uh, I think that they can get along in a way uh, because Eric Adams, as we've said, I mean, he slides across the ideological scale, if it's, you know, from liberal to conservative, depending on what the issue is. So I think that Zeldin will want to succeed. He'll want to have clean and safe streets. And if everything's crime, 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 fear, 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 you know, he's it behooves him to work closely with Eric Adams to make sure that the police are on his side. And keep in mind, he's got a built-in base because he's a relatively conservative white man. And we know what our institutions in the NYPD and police departments across the state and the country look like So He's he's already coming in uh, With a, a slight advantage over Say like a Kathy Hochul that has to deal with The police department that A isn't used to Dealing with a woman B isn't used to dealing with someone From upstate C isn't used to dealing with Someone who you know hasn't really Articulated their vision
0: What do you think Harry? Harry's just smiling I don't understand <laughs> Listen, let I, I, while you while you think about that, I I think Eric Adams would be very happy to have Lee Zeldin as governor. Mm-hmm. Um, Lee Zeldin would know right away that they can work together on certain issues, obviously related to policing, uh, criminal justice reforms. Eric Adams is. One of his top priorities, if not his top priority, is not being blamed for things, is not being criticized. It's it's inc- incredible to watch over this first 10 plus months, um, you know, sort of how his own sensitivities are are front and center all the time. And so if he has someone who's ready to, to give him what he wants and he, he still will then have as a Republican governor a foil in certain ways, you know he wants these outs he keeps pointing to bail reform and raise the age and some of these things where he's now had 10 plus months to run the police department the thing he's wanted to do basically his entire professional life except he's now the dog that caught the car and so there's real questions about talk about you know how judges are implementing the changes to bail reform or not implementing them there's real questions about how eric adams and his police department are policing the city and whether why is it that there's a big reduction in murders and shootings this year compared to last? But all other major crime categories are continuing to spike. Where's the Where are the details on that? You know, uh, there's there's a lot of questions here that are not as easy as Eric Adams wanting to continuously just point to Albany. And there's many legislators quick to point that out. And I think you're absolutely right, Christina. That Kathy Hochul will be more ready to point that out. If she wins here and doesn't have to worry about upsetting Adams on a short timeline before she faces voters, which is what she's had to be dealing with here. Mm -hmm. All hypotheticals
1: aside for a minute, I am expecting Adams, who's negotiated with Adrian Adams, the Speaker of the City Council, to this point. The Speaker represents the will of the caucus. The caucus is mostly Democrats the will of the democrats is mostly progressive the majority of the caucus belongs to the progressive caucus which is uh farther to the left i think he's been frustrated at some points that he's not clear who he's actually negotiating with who can strike a deal how that's going to work and has been somewhat restrained about that to this point i think that probably changes after this election cycle and with statewide polling i think that shows pretty clearly however these results turn out tonight that there's some frustration with democrats and a, a centrist push with Hochul's campaign Hochul has failed to make an affirmative case for herself or anything not because she's uh, foolish or inept or democrats can't but because her advisors just looked at the numbers in new york and the money she could raise and said don't engage and she didn't And in hindsight, that was obviously a tactical mistake. So it's odd because Hochul has not done herself any favors. and I'm not sure moderates have done her any favors. Uh, The WFP is sort of working hard on her behalf at the end, but like with trying not to name her, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez just appeared with her for the very first time, you know, unlike the the last closing rally, but hadn't been there, you know. You know that her internal polling shows it's legitimately close when you're bringing in the president and the former president and Hillary Clinton and AOC and all the celebrities you can. Um, Ben, in the midst of all this, we have the Working Families Party that is worried about losing its line. And after Cuomo just decided to up before he left, he does not like them. This is long history. Right? He's like, by the way, you now have to get, every two years, the higher of 2% or 130,000 votes on your line on the top thing, which is governor or president. Uh, I think they're likely to clear that bar, but I haven't looked in the last two hours since the polls closed. Uh, how's, how's that going for them? And, and can Democrats, their, their left and their center, maintain some cohesion and ability
0: to help one another? Well, let's say this also, uh, the Working Families Party is no friend of Kathy Hochul and vice versa, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. And they very much um, are trying to save their ballot line, their prominence uh, as leverage to run another race like they just tried to run in the primary to uh, win the nomination with Jamani Williams. I think they missed Trump and Cuomo in
1: some ways. That having a main character to run against within the party, without it, was actually very helpful for them, with drawing people to their line.
0: I think yes, but also they seem to be doing just fine with Hochul here. I think they're. I think they seem uh, very much likely to to keep their line again. So um, you know, I think they're doing okay. I think they bumped up uh, in in all these last three gubernatorial races that they've. Um, you know, had candidates or back candidates or sort of back candidates, um, depending on how you sort of count the the Zephyr teach out run. Um You know, bumping up against uh, a challenge of a ceiling of the sort of anti-establishment, anti-moderate slash progressive wing of the party running a statewide campaign. I mean, there's all sorts of details we could get into about quality of the candidate, fundraising, all sorts of stuff. And there's a new campaign finance system coming into effect before the next gubernatorial race. So a lot of variables there, but um there's there's clearly some real problems uh that persist within the democratic party and some real you know challenges that are healthy in many ways in terms of debate over policy and politics but um the lack of cohesion you know you mentioned kathy hochel and her advisors i mean probably we'll see what the final numbers are but you know one of the first things she should probably do after election day if she if she survives is is uh, tell tell those folks you know that they're, they're not coming back on the next campaign um but you know i i i think that um we're seeing we've seen a lack of cohesion that's really been problematic you mentioned aoc i don't know You know, until they decided at the very end they needed to really do a lot of things to try to juice base turnout. I don't know that Kathy Hochul wanted to be seen publicly with AOC. Mm -hmm. I'm not really sure Mm -hmm. because she's Mm -hmm. trying to straddle that line with moderates where she's, you know, very worried about being seen as too far left, even though the right is going to paint her as a socialist no matter what, no matter if she runs around the state saying, No one says defund the police in my presence, which she has literally done. Uh, she still gets branded as, you know, a, a Democrat who's defunding the police. Uh, uh, you know, there are questions about how those attacks land, if if there are, if there is validity to it. But even what we're seeing in Brooklyn, you know, the Brooklyn Democratic Party is inept, um, and they're going to lose. Looks like they're going to lose some incumbents, and it looks like you know th- there's all sorts of challenges there. So so there's a lot of soul searching yet again, I think, for Democrats in New York to do here about. Messaging about strategy, about cohesiveness, um and just you know, the ways in which Republicans have dominated a lot of the a lot of the messaging of this campaign so a prominent Democrat was just telling one of our reporters
1: in South Brooklyn and on background how disgusted that person is with the uh, Brooklyn Democratic Party and their failure to support uh, candidates facing. Challenging general elections looks like who collectively are going to have a very rough night. I see Ben uh, thinking and grinning about a. But you know, Harry,
2: I I think also though we got to add this to the complicated mix is that, and I've said it before, and I'm saying it again: a lot of white people do not understand the existential threat that we face. And until it is at their door and strangling them around their own necks, they won't get it. So either they abstain from voting or they play around with their vote. And it's like, oh, it's cute and it's fun. And I can just like vote for, you know, Zeldin because I just want to be, you know, different in Brooklyn. And like, you know, I don't like one party rule. But it's like, think about the long term repercussions of playing around with that vote. And so, you know, not just for women's woman's right to choose or the environment or education or funding, you name it. But I it's... There's a racial dynamic that we're not talking about, especially with, like, these quote-unquote liberals in Brooklyn that, you know, yes, they voted blue, but it's like, you know, if you voted for Bernie and then Trump and then Zeldin, like— I'm looking at you funny. Or if you voted for whomever and now you think it's like, it's cool or okay to vote for Zeldin just because, you know, for whatever reason, you don't like Hochul. And that's where that gender stuff comes in where I'm constantly talking about it. No one can ever explain why they just can't seem to vote for a woman at the top of the ticket. But it's just, oh, there's something about her, but, you know, so I'm just going to vote for Zeldin. It's like, this man is a dangerous threat. And if I hear one more New Yorker say, well, you know, New York's blue and, you know, we're we're pro-choice, we'll never sort of not be that. That is such a false claim if we take our foot off the gas. And I just think that not enough straight-up white voters take this seriously.
1: Speaking of straight-up white folks, right, so my, my closing column for the news, which no longer does endorsements ahead of this race, was, was look, elections are about alternatives zeldin wants to give teachers guns he wants to fire alvin Bragg. he says I, I don't like abortion at all but hey i can't do anything because all the other it'll be all democrats even if i'm here and you know th- that's absurd uh, when you think about what he could do at the department of health um without needing lawmakers uh about the sort of people he put in his administration it, it seems to me like a very clear choice but our closing question here as we're looking at of things that are hypothetical as we're recording this, but may well be known by the time you listen to it in that <laughs> weird witching hour right is Andrew Cuomo was on the podcast, he said, I got to poll the shows I'd be winning by ten points yeah. uh Tom Swasey another uh another white moderate Democrat guy right who got crushed in the primary is like uh, you know, I think he might have reason to think it would be harder for Zeldon to make this fear case against me um It's complicated being an incumbent. It's helpful in a lot of ways. You get to raise an awful lot of money. Uh, But would this race, in each of your view, be as close if one of those candidates were running? And if so or if not, what does that say about the Democratic Party, the electorate here, and so on?
2: Well, I think it says more about unemployed men who think that they could (laughs) be at the top of the ticket. Hey, guess what? You're not. So there, those are, those are you know, we can play hypotheticals all day long. Yeah, I got a PhD in in astronomy instead of political science. And I'm like, you know, scaling a building and going to outer space. I'm not. So Andrew Cuomo, you were asked to leave and you left. And Kathy Hochul is the governor of New York State. Tom Suozzi, you ran against the governor of New York State in a primary. And the voters resoundedly said, no, thank you. Jamadi Williams dusted you, got double what you got Tom Swasey. So no one's interested, you know, you know, you know, I love that old school Chicago saying, it's like, we don't want nobody who nobody sent. nobody sent for you, Tom Swasey. So it doesn't matter what you want to talk about. You versus Lee Zeldin. You can't get into the general if you don't get past the primary and you didn't. So we play with the cards. We have the cards that democratic New Yorkers wanted. was Kathy Ockel. There we are.
1: Ben. The last word here, as this just got less hypothetical, uh, Christina was just messaging us as we were doing this, and we see that MSNBC, not AP yet, at 11.12, I believe, has called New York for Kathy Hochul. And it turns out you can generate all the post covers you want, all the poll momentum you want, but it is an uphill climb still, for a uh, for a Republican in New York
0: to uh, uh to get to get through, I am uh, I'm still waiting to see all the votes come from Long Island. But if this yes. is so, um, you know, and and the latest numbers from the State Board of Elections I'm looking at have it at about fifty six percent Hokel, forty three percent Zeldin. Again, that's without a lot of Long Island votes, so that's sure to shrink. It seems, but we'll see. Um, I, I think a few things. One. I think Kathy Hochul has a lot of strengths. Uh, there are major Republican headwinds in this election cycle. There are major challenges that we could argue how much she, you know, control she has over that have been impacting New York from uh, the COVID hangover and challenges and people's just resentment around COVID restrictions and and just the frustrations of COVID and the damage COVID has done to inflation to crime. A number of things working against her. Again, some of those she maybe could have done more about. Some of those she needed to put a better argument forward about. But she had strength. She had those headwinds. She never run before. She's battling sexism, as Christina got at earlier, not to be undercounted. Speaking of, you know, Andrew Cuomo talking about how well he would do. Major issues with. The campaign she ran, I think that we need to discuss further, you know, in the days to come, but we'll see what the margin winds up uh, being. And maybe some of those questions aren't as valid as we think they are. The other thing I think that's really interesting here is, you know, you get at the fact that Democrats have this huge enrollment advantage in New York, and that's why nobody thought for a very long time this would be close at all. No Republicans won in New York State uh, statewide since 2002. The other thing I've been thinking a lot about is, if Republicans had not nominated a conservative uh, Trump uh, ally, yes. what what does that look like? I'm not actually sure that that means Republicans do better. I'm not actually sure about that. There was something about the way Lee Zeldin campaigned and his and his consistent messaging, the length of his campaign, other things, a lot for us to to break down about. Something Christina also got at about like so many voters and what they do and and don't seem to prioritize the fact that zeldin's votes against the election and his ties to trump don't necessarily seem to be holding lots of people back that you maybe might have thought would be more hesitant about that um you know and people prioritizing very vague sort of conservative messaging around crime with no real apparent plan and no plans about virtually anything I mean, this is a guy promising to sort of cut taxes across the board. He's never put out a single number as to what he would try to make the tax rate. So I think there's a lot of interesting questions on this. People wanted Harry Wilson as a moderate. I don't know that Harry Wilson wins this race. Maybe he does. I think that's one of the most interesting questions coming, coming out of this election to think about a bit and will obviously be a lot for Republicans and others to think about before the next statewide election. And
2: can I just tack on, though, Ben, because I agree with you. Wholeheartedly, I just think that is there space for a moderate Republican in this party right now? Because I think you know, let's just yeah, they have to do
0: it without a without a primary, yeah, right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. And and even if they did sort of eke out a primary, it's just like in the general, are they forced to just go to the right to cater to the larger national? faction that has taken over the entire party. You know, I mean, we've seen, if you don't pledge allegiance to sort of Donald Trump and his tactics, he will come after you, even if you're in his own party. I mean, I think that's going to be, these next few weeks, because this red wave did not come crashing down in ways that I think Republicans had hoped for. I mean, obviously Florida is really solid and, you know, we saw they got to win in Ohio and, you know, Texas is going to say Texas. Sure. But we know that Donald Trump, you know, has is decided that he wants to be back in 2024. The, the internal polling says Joe Biden only beats one person and that's Donald Trump, right? Everybody else beats Joe Biden, but Joe Biden beats Donald Trump again. And so they're kind of stuck with this dragon that they created. And I think the cannibalization of the Republican party on a national level in these next few weeks, months, years, is going to be something that's on the one hand fascinating to watch on the other hand, just really disgusting and tragic for our democracy.
1: That is a strong closing note. We have pretty big turnout in New York as these things go and nationally. It is interesting that as these elections are nationalized and feel more apocalyptic, and people are showing up, right? This actually is a safety net for radicals within parties and within primaries to run some wild candidates. You can be a family values Republican who's paid for a lot of women's abortions and had secret kids and lied about it. Shout out to Georgia. And is this worth like one or two points in your polling? Maybe, maybe not. Um, And that does open up space, I think, for uh, some really weird election cycles here and nationally. I think we should leave it there for tonight, Ben. You are a uh, a mensch and a good sport. It's exciting to do this and have the results come in as we're trying to riff and think this through. Uh, Chrissy, thank you as always for uh, bringing some intelligence and and perspective to this, so that it's not it's not just uh, chatter.
2: <laughs> well, oh. I want to say thank you to Ben. He's you know, as the young folks say, he's our day one.
0: It's it's always fun and it, yeah it, it, this was actually quite something to uh, to be to be recording and talking as the race was called for Hochul I mean this this is history you know mm-hmm. she's the first woman elected governor of New York this is a really big deal um, and uh, in terms of setting the stage for you know things going forward I mean uh, unless something crazy happens she's you know she's got a full Four years here so we'll see what she can do with, with the state and all its challenges and, and all that and, and those political dynamics are going to start uh, start moving as we speak
2: mm-hmm. Harry you're my man 50 grand I love spending election night with you guys
1: Thank FAQ, F-A-Q. <laughs>
2: This has been FAQ NYC. We're part of The City, a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to hard hitting reporting that serves the people of New York. Our work is freely available to everyone at thecity.nyc and is supported by listeners and readers like you. Go to thecitynyc donate if you'd like to pitch in. We're headquartered at NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research and are a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists, Critics, and Artists. Find it at popula.com. Our guest this week was the one and only Ben Max. And our hosts were me, Christina Greer, and Harry Siegel, who's also our executive producer. Our engineer is Adam Kamara. Thank you, dear listener, for joining us again and making it this far. Be kind, be well, and we'll be back soon with more.